Morning, everybody. Would you stand with us? We're going to open with a few songs of worship. It's good to see you.
God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do, what to do. God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. I will love you, Lord, my strength. I will love you, Lord, my shield. I will love you, Lord, my rock. Forever, all my days, I will God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. I will love you, Lord, my strength. I will love you, Lord, my shield. I will love you, Lord, my rock. Forever, all my days, I will
Lord, we love you so much. We're here to worship you and to hear from you. I pray that your presence will be felt here and that you'll speak clearly to us this morning. We love you very much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Amen. Thank you, Evan. Well, it's good to see all of you uh, who are here gathered this morning as well as all those who are, are gathered online, uh, either watching the recording or watching the, the live stream right now. My name's Tim, uh, and I'm one of the pastors here. And, and this is our first Sunday of uh, going back to one small gathering. And if you weren't here last week to hear the announcement, it's really because of, of uh, the place we find ourselves in uh, with the, the pandemic and the specific uh, regulations and restrictions that have come down uh, in the state of Oregon. And we're, we're just constantly, uh, as your leaders, trying to wrestle with uh, what to do, what not to do, how to handle ourselves in the middle of, of uh, to use an overused, overused word, these unprecedented times. Um, and so what we've decided to do is, for the time being, during this, this time of a, of a statewide freeze, as we're calling it, is we're just going back to uh, one small gathering uh, on Sundays uh, to be able to capture the, the, the teaching and, as well as, as to stream it. Um, and we're not doing a public registration for that at this point. We're just inviting community groups uh, to join us. And so we know for those that were joining us on Sundays, that's disappointing. As soon as we're able to, we will resume uh, gathering uh, as many people uh, as we can on Sundays again. Uh, this is going to last for four weeks, uh, which is up through December the 14th for sure in Multnomah County. But we we have every expectation that it'll probably go longer, uh, we're guessing, uh, into the new year, but, but we will uh, keep you apprised of that. And in the meantime, we just want to encourage you uh, to stay connected to the church through teaching on Sundays, um, watch the stream, watch the sermons each week, and please just stay connected with one another through community. It's so important um, whether your group meets in person or whether your group meets online, whether you're not in a group, we'd love to have you join a group. We just really want our church to, as much as possible to stay together and continue sharing life uh, even in the midst of such a, a strange time in our world, in our country, uh, and in our city. Um, I have a couple more announcements, but I want to ask the, the elders to and the elder candidates to join me uh, on stage here. Um, one more quick announcement while they're, they're coming up is uh, we are holding a, a Red Cross blood drive here um, coming up a uh, week after next on Wednesday, December 2nd from 10 to 3. And that blood drive is being held in honor of Josiah Corals. Some of you know him. Uh, the, the son, nine-year-old son of, of Travis and Tiffany Corals. He has been battling uh, cancer for quite a while now. Um, he's really really struggling in the midst of it. They could really use your prayer. Um, but, but one thing we wanted to do that we've been looking towards doing for a long time is to hold a blood drive. We want to hold it in his honor here. And uh, there's still some spots left. And even when we run out of spots, uh, there's room to sign up for a waiting list for that. And so you can just uh, find out more about that and sign up for it on our website. Just go to Door of Hope. Uh, pdx.org and click on the events button at the top. Well, as, as many of you know, uh, Door of Hope is what we call a, an elder-led church, meaning that, that 
at the highest levels of our church, uh, we have an elder team. They serve as, as the overseers of the church uh, in four main areas. Our, the mission of our church, uh, the church is to steward the, the resources of the church, um, to watch over the doctrine of our church, as well as to um, work uh, through, through finding new elders to serve in that capacity. And, and our elder team is a mix of a few of us that are are on staff with the church. Right now, that's myself and Josh White and Russ Lacey, um, as well as those who are not on staff, uh, which right now is uh, Greg McAvoy um, and Seth Mercer, who, uh, who couldn't be with us here today. And, and in the last uh, year or so, we've actually established a, a process for the lay elders to kind of rotate on and off the board, to give them a break at, at points uh, every three years. And so uh, both uh, Seth and Greg have been serving for a long time uh, as elders, and they're going to take a break, but we didn't want that to happen uh, until we were able to bring on um, more leaders onto this team. And, and so you have have observed this, if you've been uh, watching in, in recent weeks and months, um, our, our process loosely is, is we identify those we think could serve, we ask them, uh, we spend some time with them, eventually it comes to a point where we ask them to become elder candidates and, and our board votes on that and that happened a few months ago, uh, kind of late July into August and then we want to uh, spend at least three months uh, according to our structure, um, getting to know them more, then participating in the leadership of the church through our meetings and service serving in various areas of the church. Um, and then uh, after that, uh, we put them forward for feedback to see if anyone has any reason why they should not serve, kind of like in a wedding, the speak now or hold your peace kind of situation. Um, and we did that uh, two weeks ago, uh, and we haven't heard anything that would slow down that process. And so we're very excited today to actually install, uh, well, it was going to be three new elders, but unfortunately, uh, one of our candidates, Mark Atherton, can't be here today because he's sick. But we're very happy to, uh, to more formally install uh, Matt Bai uh, and Tim Clevenger. And then in, in early December, we will uh, be able to install uh, Mark Atherton. Um, Tim Clevenger has been with Door of Hope for a long time. He's led in community groups. He's leading a Bible study now. He's involved in all kinds of different ways uh, in the church over the years. Uh, Matt Bai was a part of, of Marcel Portland and then Redeemer and then joined Door of Hope uh, when Redeemer joined Door of Hope in the summer of, of 2018. And, and he is uh, serving and, and leading specifically in our change group ministry, specifically in our, our Pure Desires uh, ministry. And um, we're really, really grateful uh, for for these new additions to the team and both the, the perspective and, and the gifts that they bring. It's already had a huge impact on our team and we're excited to share some of the different things we feel like God is leading us towards in the new year. But, but for right now, just uh, love to take a moment in, in prayer together. And so if you would, whether you're at home or, or here, just uh, extend, yeah? Before you do that, there's two ladies. Right oh yeah, yeah, why don't you guys come up here too? Yeah, sorry, I meant for you guys too as well. Um, this is uh, Matt and, and Tim's wife. It's all good, guys. <laughs> um, this is uh, Lisa Clevenger and Juanita Bai, um, and we want to pray for them as well. So just if you would yep. uh, extend a handout, as we often do, um, as, as we lay hands on uh, these men to serve, uh, and just join us in prayer. Father, thank you for how you've clearly moved among us, how you've brought forth these guys. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of getting to know them and um, see their walk with you, their love for you. 
Thank you for Mark, who's not here, and we pray for his healing this morning. And Lord, we are just confident, it's just so evident, your work at Door of Hope, um, not just in bringing forth these guys, but um, just how you're working among us to bring vision and direction in the midst of this strange time that we're in. So Father, I pray for these guys. I pray um, for your protection over them, over their marriages. Lord, with the additional responsibility and pressure of leading the church, that you will protect them. Lord, that you would help them to be men who walk in just complete surrender to you in humility. So, Lord, we trust them, entrust them to you. Thank you for your work among us. And just look so forward to your work in and through Door of Hope in this city in the days ahead. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. This room is meant for a lot more than 25 people. So, you know, it's really hard to get the enthusiasm up with 25 in a room that's meant for 700. So, uh, and that's why we're gonna talk about practicing stillness today, which is easy in this space. Uh, man, it's good to see all of you. Uh, it is crazy days and to see the intense influx uh, of COVID and in the nation. If you are not COVID fatigued, then you're not human. Uh, but we, uh, you know, we, we trust that Jesus uh, is in control. We trust that none of this is taking it by surprise. And we also have to, to trust that God uh, still wants to work powerfully in and through our community. Um, but maybe this in some ways for some of us, I know for me, at least the first few months, uh, it really was a forced rest of sorts upon uh, my very frenetic personality. But then I'm like, yeah, Lord, I can't hold still. So I took on a house uh, that kept me working, uh, you know, seven days a week. And so this message is kind of funny that I'm, I've prepared a message on the necessity of stillness and my wife always jokes that I need to tattoo, if I'm gonna get another tattoo, I need to tattoo the word B on my, on my wrist to remind me to just to hold still and enjoy the moment. I'm such a person that is driven by what's next uh, that I just want to be confessional and say I need this message more than anyone. Uh, now when I talk about practicing stillness, I'm really, I'm really kind of summing up would have traditionally been kind of three separate disciplines, but I think that they all kind of correspond, and that would be the discipline of silence, of solitude, even of, of rest, of, of, of Sabbath. Um, but really what I'm going to be looking at is in connection to kind of prayer last week of asking uh, of how do we develop um, that intimacy with Jesus that is available to us, um, and it requires uh, an, an aloneness. Now, it says that it's not good that man be alone. And many of you have been experiencing way too much aloneness. You've been isolated. 
But what we need to be able to develop is the ability to be alone with God and our thoughts in a way that prepares us for togetherness. A person that can never be alone with their thoughts is never going to be prepared to actually be with people. Uh, uh, and a person that's always alone uh, is, is, not, is not a healthy way to live either. And so what we need always within the Christian life, there needs to be a spiritual symmetry uh, that Jesus got alone often uh, with the Father, but it was always to be refreshed and rejuvenated for the pouring out of his life for the good of those that he was constantly in contact with. Now, I want to just begin with this beautiful passage that we have. These two verses, I think, really speak to the practice of stillness. Uh, and that is Psalm 46, 10. It's pretty good. Just pretty direct. Not really, you know, really not even much room for interpretation. Uh, be still and know that I am God. What, what is the psalmist saying there? Uh, and the psalmist is, is allowing the spirit to inspire. It's almost like as he's writing, he's writing what he's hearing God say to him. Uh, and this is the word that I have to say to myself, be still. Because you remember that quote I gave from Luther last week? He said, I have too much work to do to not pray three hours a day. But too often, if you're like me, you're like, we got to get that stillness out of the way so we can get to work, so we can get busy, that, that time is all we have. And wasted time uh, is, often, is often viewed as detrimental to productivity, when in actuality, what I have found, and this is totally true, I, I, I forced myself to begin to rest in the midst of this crazy work project, I started feeling the pressure of deadlines, and I was doing... I have been doing seven days a week on top of church to do this house. But when you get to the point where you have gone so long without rest and you're so exhausted, it has incredibly diminishing returns. What I have found is even on a practical level of work, my work often has to be redone when I am working without rest because the quality of the work continues to go down the more exhausted I get. And so we're actually hurting ourselves when we don't pay attention to the, to the normal cycles of existence, uh, which is that human bodies need time like batteries to recharge. Um, so I love this, be still and know that I'm God, that God seems to want to speak to us in a stillness. We don't, we don't enter into relationship with people by walking in front of them. We have to slow down, slow down our lives in a way to hear from someone, to really hear what they're saying. And in fact, I had someone say to me on the job site, he's like, he goes, it's hard to have conversations with you, someone that's working for, him, for, working for me. He's like, because it always seems like your mind's in a million places. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what did you just say to me? <laughs> it's true. It's like, it actually wasn't even the space for me to be still. We have to be intentional for me to be able to engage relationally with God or with anyone. It requires a certain level of, it requires a patience, uh, a willingness to enter in. You know, when it says husbands live with your wives, uh, it's not saying, you know, be in the same house as them. It's saying be present, be still enough to know what's actually going on around you. This Psalm psalmist declares to us, be still and know that I'm God. Slow down, 
you've forgotten that you were created for me. Slow down and open your eyes to my presence. But too often the, the wave of, of movement and chaos can overtake this reality. Look what it says in Lamentations chapter 3 verses 25 through 28. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. Isn't this, isn't this season of COVID a forced waiting in many ways? Uh, it's good it, to, the, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait, what? Quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man or a woman to bear the yoke of their youth. Let them sit alone and keep silent because God has laid it on them. Uh, what, a, what a powerful passage that, that speaks to something that we really struggle with. We are so noisy uh, as human beings. Jim Elliott, the missionary who died uh, trying to bring the gospel to uh, a tribe in South America where he, was, where he was killed by that tribe, wrote this. I think the devil has made it his business to monopolize on three elements. Noise, hurry, crowds. Satan is quite aware of the power of silence. We are uneasy with being alone because ours is a restless and frenetic age in which we are so accustomed to noise that we cannot bear silence or stillness. And what this has produced, I believe, is probably the most spiritually shallow generation in human history. Uh, and, and if you want to, if you, you think I'm overstating the shallowness of the age, uh, just look at the, the depth of meaning in things like TikTok or, or even Instagram. I mean, people try to get deep and serious and say meaningful things on Instagram, but for the most part, our appetite for, for things of real depth is pretty minimal. Uh, we have reduced our existence to, you know, 150 character pithy phrases uh, because we don't like to be alone with our thoughts. Because when we're alone with our thoughts, we're confronted with who we really are, what we really are, what is lacking. It can create an anxiety that, that overwhelms us. Um, Soren Kierkegaard wrote a lot about this, about we have recreated Christianity to match the, uh, the, the, the views of the age. And this is, you know, he's writing this a long time ago. Uh, he already saw the shallowness of the Christian experience the moment we turned the gospel into something that mirrored or aped the culture rather than lived in the full subversity that you see in the New Testament, that we are to be in the world but not of it. But too often we reshape our Christian experience in the image of the world's image rather than being not of this world. Why is this? Why is it that we talk too much and we listen too little? We surround ourselves with people and yet feel utterly alone. We have a culture that sedates itself with entertainment and medicates itself with drink and drugs. It's not surprising that it is marijuana dispensaries that has thrived in COVID and liquor stores, which I guess, according to the government, are essential businesses, unlike church. 
Uh, I think that it's not surprising that this, this spiritual shallowness has given way to a driven to distraction kind of mentality as well as everything bores me. Uh, you know, I, that was in our household, I'm bored was the, that was like the one thing that was like, it's like the F word in our family. Like that's just, you don't say that, it's bad. Like boredom is, is, is something you choose to be because you have lost your ability to see wonder in the life, in life around you. And as a kid, that's just not acceptable. Uh, and it's like, but we as adults, our kids are often, if they're claiming they're bored, and maybe it's because they, they see us being bored. All of this, this movement, this chaos, this shallowness, I think is an attempt to avoid what, I like what Tozer says, the nagging voice of conscience. Richard Foster, uh, in his classic book, The Celebration of Discipline, says it's ironic that in a culture, a culture where loneliness and isolation is almost pandemic, solitude is so foreign to us. Uh, what is the difference? What is stillness? I believe that the practice of stillness, that practice of solitude, of silence, of rest, is really learning to be alone incomplete. It's learning to know that we actually are never alone as followers of Jesus. But Jesus said, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. But we have to develop that gaze of the soul to know that God is actually near, that he's not detached, that he's not disinterested, that he cares about us. If the gospel says anything, it says, I care about you. God wants us to know that he cares about us, not by us just reading promises written by men thousands of years ago, but he wants us to experience the living word, the logos, Jesus himself, through the written word, through our time together as a community, through our devotional lives, through our time alone, being still enough to hear a God who is nearer to us than we are to our own thoughts. Bonhoeffer said, silence is nothing else but waiting for God's word and coming from God's word with a blessing. In other words, it centers our heart on God where we can hear his voice at all times. It brings us into the realization of his presence. And this is where I agree with my charismatic brothers and sisters. I consider myself charismatic if you mean by that word that I believe that the spirit is active and that the Christian life is meant to be experiential. That it's not just an intellectual ascent, but it actually is meant to change the way that we live because we are living with a God who has come to dwell within us. God's manifest presence should be the deepest longing of our hearts. Every great revival is an awakening to God's presence. And you can't come into God's presence. You can't get alone with God and not be undone by that experience. To not be exposed, your, your weaknesses, your sins, all of those things, those come into the open. And this is why I think too often we're afraid to get alone with God because we're afraid of what God will reveal about us. But it's good. It may be painful, but I promise you it's what I like to call a good death where God wants to expose a cancer in our lives. 
He wants to show us areas that aren't yet surrendered to him. He wants to give us mission, give us things to move toward all of this because he loves us and is inviting us to participate with him in his work. John 16 verse 32 says, Jesus said, indeed the hour is coming, yes, has now come that you will be scattered each to his own and and will leave me alone. Jesus said this, and yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. You know what's powerful about that statement is that you have to take into consideration that Jesus was confident that the Father would be with him while he was on the cross. And yet it was on the cross that he who knew no sin became sin. And what was the outcome of taking the weight of sin into its fullness upon himself? He actually did experience, at least experientially, as we as humans do, which shows the result of unconfessed sin that, isn't, that we don't allow to come into the light, is that it broke his sense of connection with the Father because what was the word that he cried out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you, Father? I've lost sight of you because this is what sin does to us. It blinds us to the presence of God. But God had not lost his hold upon his beloved son. He may have turned away his head in shame, but he never lost his grip for Jesus on the cross conquered sin and death and the dominions of darkness and his final cry was father into your hands I commit my spirit and remember what it says he was alone for seven hours there was silence and darkness over the land and Jesus wrestled through uh, our redemption and for a moment felt the aloneness that we often feel, that existential dread. It's powerful. I've often found this really profound. When he spoke these words to his disciples, there is this humanness in these words that he, that he could not know. He who knew no sin could not know what it would mean. In all of his omniscience, he could not know what it would mean to be separated from the Father until it happened. I don't understand the mystery of it. How does the all-knowing God, the omniscient God, experience something that he had no knowledge of? And maybe it's just Jesus speaking from his human. I could be speaking heretically here. I can say that every theologian that's ever lived ponders this with a reverent mystery. There is a mystery involved in this. But I think that Jesus understands the human aloneness. He wants us to experience the aloneness that where we find that we are complete in him. It's not being alone, it's being still. It's experiencing the solitude that brings about intimacy. Richard Wormbrand, the Romanian pastor, I spoke about him giving sermons in his sermon cell, which I thought was, uh, he was in isolation. Uh, For three years, he was in solitary confinement. And during his time in solitary confinement, with the exception of an occasional torture session where he would sit alone in a windowless cell where he composed in his mind and memorized 350 sermons. And he has a, there's a book called um, uh, Sermons from Solitary Confinement. And he even says like, I was a man at the edge of, you know, mental breakdown. You can't live in solitary confinement. So these sermons aren't always sound theologically, but they're what kept me alive. And really what it was for him was an intimacy with God. And he said, in church, I had to be careful not to hurt the feelings of the prejudices of my listeners. With you, I can be absolutely frank. You have no inquisition. You will not try me for heresy. 
In front of others, I had to praise you. Here I am free to question you. I will tell you openly everything that is in my heart. How glad I am for the first time I am able to speak so openly with you. So in the end, I realize you have not left me alone. I am with you. Neither have you left me without the sun. I see the sun of righteousness rising in my dark cell. Thank you and praise you. Amen. What a beautiful statement. As he wrestled with God, he discovered that God was with him and would never leave him. He was what I call alone complete. Oswald Chambers said that the only road to Jesus is alone. Solitude and silence in the life of Jesus is seen again and again. Remember what it says, he was, it seemed to be the source of his spiritual empowerment even. In Luke 4.1, it says, Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit. Some says driven by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was alone for 40 days and 40 nights. But what happens at the end? Luke 4.14, then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. That time alone in the wilderness, a time of testing. It was difficult, but it was also a time of intimacy it, was, it ended with angels ministering to him and he comes back empowered for ministry. And, and, and why did Jesus get along with God? The, the disciples saw that the power, the source of power in Jesus's life, Jesus came as, as a representative, the, the new representative humanity. He shows us what the spirit-filled human being looks like. And we see that he got alone in Mark 1.35 to commune with the Father in the morning. Having risen long before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed. He did it to be replenished, Luke 4.42. And when it was day, he departed, went away from the crowds and went into a deserted place. And the crowds sought him and came to him. It's funny, he didn't get alone very long. They would, find, they would seek him out but he got alone long enough to be replenished. He did it to seek guidance, it seems, for major decisions, Luke 6, 12. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. So what I want us to do is to consider the benefits of practicing stillness through solitude and silence. First of all, solitude and silence, this practice of stillness acquaints us with God's whispers. Stillness acquaints us with God's whispers. In 1 King 19, 11 through 12, one of my favorite passages, Elijah the prophet is in this place of despair. He's running for his life and he's alone and God speaks to him and he says, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And he beheld and behold, the Lord passed by and a great strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks and pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not what? In the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. God does these miraculous events and he, in, it's almost like he's announcing his arrival, but he's not in those things. But where he reveals himself to Elijah, and I think that this is the thing, Elijah was, was disheartened because he felt like God had abandoned him after he had stood up against, against a, a, a corrupt king and queen. He, he then, he thinks that, you know, he shows himself as this bold prophet, but then the moment he hears that Jezebel wants to kill him, he runs for his life and he's despairing of his own life. 
And, and God's like, you're looking for me in these big things. It's almost like he's, he's rebuking that because Elijah's forgetting that God is with him. And the way that he comes to him is in the still small voice. But the question of this is, uh, what does the whisper of God communicate to us? Well, first of all, what does a whisper communicate? The first thing it communicates, in order for you to hear a whisper, you have to what? Be close to the person whispering. A whisper speaks of proximity. Nobody whispers unless they're so close to the person that they're wanting to share intimate, I don't trust a stranger that would come up and try to whisper into my ear. That's, I don't want that kind of proximity. I don't need that kind of intimacy. I, that would just be weird and creepy. The only people that I am close with whisper into my ear. I, I, I love that because it, it speaks even of James' own words in James 4.8. He says, draw near to God and what? He will draw near to you. Come close to him. Notice that this language, the, the, the still soft voice, it's a, we, God is not in this chaos, in, in this chaotic reality. That's not where we're going to enter into communion. He, he wants to come to us like, like an intimate, a one who is so close to us that we can hear him whisper. There's a proximity here that reminds us that God is near. We are as close to God as we choose to be. God may be sovereign, but he has sovereignly decreed to limit his own sovereignty that we might be allowed what I call freedom within limitations. And that freedom within limitations is the freedom to draw near to him. He may have given this the empowerment, the spirit of God to do so, but it becomes our responsibility to work out that free gift of salvation with fear and trembling. We do that as a community, but we also do that alone. We have to actually learn to appropriate in our lives the gifts that God has birthed into us through that new regeneration. It's the, this is why these are, these are disciplines of grace. They flow out of God's work in us, but God's work in us produces in us the ability to now work in accordance with him to enter into relationship with him this is the work of God that you believe upon him when he has sent that we believe that he's with us that we believe that he's near to us that he is speaking to us but we have to quiet the noise to hear the whisper speaks of proximity it speaks of intimacy John 14 21 he who has my commandments and keeps them it is he who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him we will come and make our home within you are we looking out for something that comes quietly from within now I'm not talking about a new age kind of mysticism where we're looking for the God within all of us I believe that there is, a, there is an evangelical um, mystic experience which is the new birth in which God literally places his spirit within us and it's, a, it's learning to attune our hearts to the voice of the spirit for it says that the, the, the spirit is in continual battle with the, with the flesh. Uh, we, have, we have our nature and then the spirit's nature infused with that nature. But how often do we allow the, the voice 
of our sinful flesh to be the domineering voice in our minds. Looking, looking to this reality, we have to ask the question, are we choosing clamor in consecration, over consecration? Are we, are we choosing between the world's display of glory or the soul's whisper of a, of a God who comes to us quietly and intimately, who is trying to show us a better way? The winds, the earthquakes, the fire that comes into our lives are meant to prepare us, I believe, for the still soft voice. It is in the eye of the storm where we often find the sweet repose, the whisper of God comes where all is well and all is quiet. Real might moves in silence, it seems from this passage. Stillness also strips us of shallowness. In Hosea, the prophet Hosea chapter two, verse 14, there's this powerful passage in which God speaks through the prophet Hosea and, and gives a word to Israel who has become this rebellious, adulterous nation who's turned to other gods and turned its back on God. But God says, I have not lost my grip on, un, on unfaithful Israel. In fact, I will allure her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. And the wilderness speaks of a place of what? Of desolation, a place of emptiness. God has to strip her of her idolatry, of her distractions, but it's there, it's through the stripping that the intimacy is found. If I can get her away from her false gods, which is gonna be a painful process, Having the idolatry of our lives stripped away is a painful process. God has to bring all of us into the wilderness. There needs to be, a, a, there's gonna be seasons in your life where you are going to experience God chastises those whom he loves. He corrects his children because he wants what's best for us. And sometimes what's best is having what we think we need stripped from us so that he can show us what we really need, which is him. And this, this stripping, I think that stillness is one of those ways, that practice, that practice of solitude, getting into that uncomfortable place where we are forced to be alone with our thoughts, where God can actually begin to reveal things that need to come off so that he can then speak words of comfort to us. What a powerful reality. When we get alone with God, he begins to show us what we are in the light of who he is. Oswald Chambers said, reputation is what people think of you. Character is what you are in the dark. And nothing reveals our character like solitude. Dallas Willard says, solitude is a terrible trial for it serves to crack open and burst apart the shell of superficial securities. I like to use Alan Redpath's statement, a broken heart alone can receive a crucified Christ. God sometimes has to break our hearts so that we can receive the crucified Christ, but he can't do much with a divided heart, a compromised heart, a heart that is filled with clamor and noise. If we allow solitude and, and silence its proper place, it can be a place of stripping for the purpose of rebuilding. The good death gives birth to new life. This is a powerful reality that we should not be afraid of.
I think stillness also and finally prepares us for service. Getting alone with God, listening to God, it prepares us for service. Mark chapter 6 verse 31 and he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest for a while. For there were many coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. And Jesus saw that whole reality of diminishing returns so often that the, the serving and I, I think my staff had been saying that like the other day it's just like uh, when I was going so hard it just became apparent it's like that ability to even serve with joy have you ever been so exhausted that you just feel unbelievably sad and you don't even you know it's not even rational uh, it's like we can allow life can do that to us even like the news can wear you out mentally in these days and like do you take the time to just turn off the news feed be alone with God and just say Jesus speak to me I need your comfort right now I need your word because it is those times alone that actually gives us the the that prepares us for how to actually be conduits of his grace in a chaotic world how do we be a signpost that points to the kingdom if we never spend time with the king if we aren't getting alone with the king this is why we need to understand that it is being alone with God that actually prepares us for being utilized by God in a chaotic world that he is in the business of saving. It has been said retirement is the laboratory of the spirit. All great works are prepared in the desert. Christianity is receptivity, but we must take time to receive. We've got to get alone so that we can be filled up so that we can enter into the world and be poured out. Bonhoeffer said, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Solitude and silence is the counterpart to community and speech. It's what gives meaning to community and what gives purposefulness and thoughtfulness to what we say. I don't write sermons with a lot of people around me. That happens alone so that I can come and be with you. It requires a tremendous amount of time uh, uh, alone. I, I just have to figure out now that my house is winding down how to be alone without sitting all day because I'm realizing that movement is good for the body uh, and being a pastor can be a very sedentary life of just a lot of sitting and thinking. I've got to, I think I'm gonna start just doing walks with people I wish I could read, I always see Tim Mackey, you guys know that Tim Mackey walks by here every day and he's memorized his route to work so that he can read, he figured out he can read like two more books a month by reading while he walks. I'm like, how do you not fall down? He's like, I just memorized my path. It's so funny. That's, that is, that is a truly disciplined personality right there. <laughs> uh, love it. Uh, but I, I think that this is, this is so important that, that our service the fruitfulness of our service flows out of our intimacy with Jesus. No person can think well if they don't make time to think. Psalm 119 verse 148 says, my eyes are awake through the night watches that I may meditate on your word. Jesus constantly was calling his disciples uh, to, to observe his life. I mean, he was their rabbi. They saw how he would get alone with the father and they saw that as 
the source of his power. James chapter three, verse two says, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man able to bridle the whole body. The ability to, to control the tongue is something that is learned in, in, in taking time to be silent before God. Uh, I'm still learning that one. <laughs> Kempis, Thomas Kempis said, no man appears in safety before the public eye unless he first relishes obscurity. No man is safe in speaking unless he loves to be silent. There's a restoration to the soul that happens when we are still. So, in closing, when we take in this Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. I, I, I found this old essay by um, Tozer from, uh, from his great collection of, of essays called God Tells a Man Who Cares. Not God Tells a Man Who Cares, question mark, but he tells a person who actually is concerned. I always thought that would be a fine, all it takes is a question mark at the end of that and it's a, it's a, ruined, it's a ruined book title. Uh, but he says, he says this, I love this, it's just such practical. Once again, if you guys want these notes, I'm happy to send them to you. But he says, retire from the world each day to some private spot. What a, what, what a great word. Do you have a spot that you go to? Darcy and I are in our new house, we're like, okay, what's your spot? What's your devotional spot? There's, and I think she just found hers in the, the master bedroom. And I have, I have a little study at, at my house that I can get alone and read my Bible and drink my coffee. And, and, and this is my little spot each day. And, and, and it's just, I like this. He said, for a while I retreated to the furnace room for want of a better place. I, I, I think that that, that, that was a, this, this reality, like I have to get alone and the only, thing op- option, the only option for me is a furnace room. Uh, stay, uh, I like this, uh, listen for the still soft voice of God till you learn to recognize it. We are told in scripture to test the spirits. One thing that I, I think is important, a lot of people say God spoke this or the spirit spoke this to me. And I don't actually deny that. I don't think it's necessarily wishful thinking. Uh, but there's a lot of things that I'm told that the Spirit tells people to do that seems to have no grounding in the gospel, no pointing toward Jesus. And I don't even deny that a Spirit told them to do it. The question is, is, is it the Spirit of God? Because we are physical and spiritual creatures and there is a spiritual domain and a spiritual domain of influence. And, and to get familiar with the still soft voice of God, we need to remember that God has given us his thoughts in the form of his scriptures. And so the scriptures need to be a regular part because it becomes the framework or the boundaries by which we can test whether it's God's voice that we're listening to or a demonic voice or even the voice of the world, our own our own sinful conscience because wishful thinking is a reality. This is why we need sanctified imaginations. We can say, God told me to marry this person or God told me to buy this car or whatever it is, but I'm like, is it leading you to Jesus? (laughs) Is it pointing you to Jesus? Is it bringing sanctification to your life? There are certain litmus tests where you can begin to feel like, no, that actually is from the Lord. This this aligns with with the heart of Jesus. This is what, part of what it means to learn to listen to the still soft voice of God until you recognize it. Avoid the digest type of mind. 
Um, and speaking, he's using the, the, the language of, you don't even probably know what it is if you're young, it was just Reader's Digest, which was like these short little stories, which are way longer than most people have the attention span for today. So Reader's Digest is actually a horrible example uh, because no, who has the time to read through a Reader's Digest short story? It's like avoid, avoid a social media information way of thinking is what I would say. Avoid the new way of thinking in the technological age where everything comes to us in 150 characters or one minute sound bites. We need to learn to develop a stillness and a, and a patience and, and a quietness. I was just looking out, Greg McAvoy, one of our elders who prayed, uh, Greg has this, a very, um, there's a thoughtfulness in what he says. He takes time to say what he wants to say. And I'm always envious of that because I'm such an impulsive, like I am never lack of words doesn't mean that they have meaning. It's what my wife, my mom said, I had the gift of monologue at like one year old. That's a curse. Learning to, to, to hold the tongue and hopefully God is redeeming it when I preach for the most part. Uh, but I, I think that that learning to just be still, to be patient, to, to learn to develop a mind that is, that takes in and thinks carefully through things. That's so important. Uh, short bit, endless short bits of unrelated facts. Do you ever feel like your brain is just like a, a human dumpster of pop culture? I do. It's like, why can't I like name every hit song by Michael Jackson, but it's difficult for me to tell you where certain passages in the Bible are as one who's been teaching the Bible for 20 years. Like, why do I remember all the actors' names, you know, in the A-team? That, that shouldn't happen. Uh, but for some reason, we, just, we are just a culture that feeds on information that does not improve us uh, it, 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 in, in our attempts to have some sort of encyclopedic knowledge base. Uh, it's not actually helpful. Calling home our roving thoughts. Is that something that you do? That's a really hard one. And I think that that's a discipline that has to be developed that flows out of grace, trusting, but we have the mind of Christ, it says. But we have the mind of Christ. We may have the mind of Christ, but if you're like me, you're like, you, you know that, yeah, I don't think I'm thinking like Jesus though. We have to grab a hold of and learn to, uh, to appropriate in our lives what God has given us as a gift. Jesus says, I'm with you. I am willing to give you my thoughts. Learn how to possess them to meditate upon them, take your thoughts captive, practice spiritual concentration, practice that praying without ceasing. Do you just talk, take, when you drive, just make it a decision that when I drive, I'm gonna pray when I'm alone. Do you do that? Pray for the people you see on the street, pray for the city. Think about all the people in your life that you say you're gonna pray for, but you don't. Find those times that aren't actually being used for anything of, of eternal value and, and reorganize those around a, a spiritual concentration. I think that that is such a, a, a beautiful thing. And I think ultimately and finally gaze on Christ with the eyes of your soul. What does it say? Looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Robert Murray McShane's famous statement, for every one look you take into your own heart, take 10 looks to Jesus. May Jesus be the one that you find when you're alone.
And may your being alone with God put to death the aloneness that so many of us feel in a culture that I think breeds a, a, a loneliness that is not the same thing as being alone with God. God wants to meet you where you're at and he wants to meet you in this season. And in a season where we're forced to be alone, let's put it to use. Let's not throw it away in anxiety and useless fear and things that we can't control. Let's take this time to develop the discipline of hearing that still soft voice. Let's be still and know that he is God, amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your scripture. Thank you for the power of your word. We ask in this day that you would teach us to be still. Lord, I need that so much. I've been so busy, so frenetic, um, endlessly going. I sit down to spend time with you and find myself thinking about hardware for a window or <laughs> paint for a floor, Lord, uh, or stress about things that aren't finished. Lord, we all have those things that distract us from you. And Lord, I thank you that even our distractions can be a source of grace for they remind us that on our worst days, you are crazy about us. Thank you that our salvation is not dependent upon our focus, <laughs> but it is dependent upon your perfect work. But I pray that you would help increase our ability to focus in on the one who loves us with an everlasting love. Thank you for your love. May we be set free by your gospel, by your presence in our lives. May we hear your still soft voice today. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, guys. Would you all stand with us as we close the service with a time of worship? Um, there will be prayer available in the rotunda area through those doors if you're interested in taking advantage of that during this time. Um, outside of that, I just ask that you raise your voices with us. Oh, joy above.
speak to us, that you will help guide us into places and times of stillness and solitude where we seek you. And I just pray that you will speak clearly to us, that the still small voice will be present, that our ears will be open to it. We love you so much. We thank you for everything you've done in our lives and that you continue to do. Pray that you'll guide us as we leave from here. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great Sunday. <laughs>